Week one of fall camp is in the books. Week two is set to begin later today. But hey, who were the winners from week one? Which players stood out and are poised to make a big impact, make some moves here in fall camp? That and more, it's your Monday Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good Monday, everybody. Welcome into it. This is Locked On Vols, your team every single day. We're a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And thanks so much for making Locked On Vols your first listen. I'm Mary Kane, and this episode is brought to you in part by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash jobs. That's LinkedIn.com slash College. Terms and conditions do apply. Got a fun show coming up here on a Monday. Week one winners here in a matter of seconds. Saturday practice notes. Got to see a one-on-one session, so I'm going to tell you all about that. And then some some of my thoughts. And uh, going to play an audio clip. We'll wait to segment three to, to kind of debut that. But it's all about conference realignment and the nightmares that are oncoming for college athletics as we know it. That and a whole lot more here on a Monday show. All right, so week one is in the books. Tennessee had media day on Tuesday. And then it was practice on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then an off day. Um, Here in a moment, I want to tell you who I believe the week one winners were. But quickly, uh, week two schedule, just so you guys kind of know what's coming up this week. Tennessee will be on the practice field, and there will be media availabilities after practice for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is scrimmage number one. So mark your calendars. That is a big-time day. And uh, J- uh, head coach Josh Heupel is going to meet with the media shortly after that scrimmage. Friday is going to be an off day, and then Saturday and Sunday mornings they will have practice, but we'll, we will have no practice media availability afterwards. So that's kind of a schedule of the day or of the week. A uh, week one winners again. We're there for just a small amount of time, so anything that we see is, you know, comes from a span of about twenty-two to twenty-five minutes. There's a lot that goes on while we're not out there, but here are some of the winners for me that I've kind of picked up on here in week one. Uh, we'll start with the obvious, uh, Joe Milton. Uh, again, I don't see every throw that Joe throws during practice, but every throw that uh, he throws while we're out there, whether it be routes against air, whether it be you know just slinging it to running back, um, you know practicing you know running backs out of the backfield, um, just anything that he does, he just looks in control. Uh, his footwork's good, his body language is great, his throws are tight spirals. Uh, he's throwing bullets on the money on slants over the middle. A couple times I've seen him throw a deep ball while we've been out there. Uh, that's looked good as well. Uh, again, it's you know it's <laughs> they're not even in full pads yet. And um, by the way, full pad starts today. They've been in shells the past two week or past two days, and there's no defense out there. So uh, again, you should look good. But uh, Joe Milton's looked good so far. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie, he's looked in command and everything that he's done. So Joe Milton st- stands out to me. On the defensive side of the football, I'll go to Aaron Beasley and Keenan Peely at linebacker. We'll talk more about Keenan Peely here in a moment, segment number two, because he stood out in Saturday's practice, but. You know, Keenan Peely, he is a bigger linebacker. Um, he's not your proto... When you think of the two between Aaron Beasley and Keenan Peely, Peely's bigger, so he's kind of your prototypical middle linebacker. But, you know, Brian John Murray kind of warned us against that last week, saying, hey, I don't want you to think that he's a prototypical middle linebacker because he's come from, you know, a conference where they throw it all over the place. He plays in space. He's very athletic. But he's bigger. He's defined. He does the mechanics correctly. I mean, again... 25 years old, he's got a wife, and um, he can run a car. 
Uh, he is an older player, so he's been there and done that, and that's what's really stood out to me. Aaron Beasley, again, the quiet assassins, like I like to call him, he's uh, he's not a very vocal guy. I think that he's challenging himself to be more vocal moving forward, but just doing all the little things right, leading that entire group. And uh, again, you know, blink of an eye, he's now, you know, one of the most veteran led players in that group as well. So he's looked good kind of going through some drills. Um, we'll continue on on the offensive side. We'll go back to a wide receiver. We'll go to wide receiver. Romel Keaton's had a good, strong first week of camp. Uh, Romel Keaton, wide receiver. Um, I've written about him over at VolQuest.com. We've talked about him a little bit here. Uh, you know, he's, he's improved his hands tremendously. He used to drop some passes, and that's something that held him back. You know, maybe last year during fall camp and last year during spring practice, when there were some opportunities there with the departures of um, of, of Valus Jones and the departure of uh, Javante Payton, if you remember, and I think it, him having the drop skis kind of kind of held him back a little bit. Well, you heard Joey or uh, yeah Joey Halsley. You heard him last week talking about how it's very rare that you don't see Romel Keaton in the room working on the jugs machine. It's very rare that you go to the complex and he's not there. He's put in the work very much like Jalen Hyatt, and he's commanding himself in a different light. I mean, he's the guy this year. He's a starter. Um, he's poised to have a big year. This is a different role for Romel Keaton compared to where he's been, and so far through the first four practices, he's looked like that while the media's been out there. Uh, and uh, another wide receiver will be Dante Thornton. Dude just looks impressive. Again, can't wait to hear how he does in the scrimmage, but coming out of the slot, long, explosive, um, all three of these receivers for Tennessee, and maybe I'll do a show on this because I think it's going to be the absolute strength of this team. All three of the, or all four of the starting wide receivers, if those score a wide in there that we're talking about, they all are very different wide receivers. Ramel Keaton is um, kind of an, well, I'll save him for last. Uh, Brew McCoy is very, you know, he's bigger. He, you know, runs like a running back with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's fast enough. He's strong. Dante Thornton, again, the two words I always use to describe him, long, explosive, okay? You've got Squirrel White, who's quick and shifty and tough. Then you have Romel Keaton that kind of does just a little bit of everything right. Might be the best route runner of the group as well. So, anyway, Dante Thornton has looked good so far through camp, and he's a guy that stood out to me. Quickly, we'll talk about some young guys who've stood out, and again, with the media appearances and the press conference and all that, they've done a whole lot of young guys early on in camp, and then we'll get into you know some of the veterans this week, but... Um, Aaron Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander. Again, I wrote the practice report one day last week. They look like a million bucks. I mean, they do. Um, they look like they're miles ahead of where freshmen typically have been when coming in the last couple of years. And that's no disrespect to Elijah Herring or anybody else that's kind of, kind of come into that position the last couple of years. But um, they've got some pounds on them. They're both sitting at about 225, 230. Um, fundamentally playing outside of the box, they look good. They've got good footwork. They just look different. Now, they've got a long way to go in terms of learning the game at this level and the speed of the game's got to slow down and all that, but they've looked really good through week number one. Uh, Nico Iamaliava, the quarterback, and I've wrote in my practice reports, he's missed on some throws and that's fine. I mean, especially for the quarterback and a young quarterback early in camp, he's missed high a lot. You know, that's, I'm not a quarterback guru. I'm not trying to be John Gruden here, but, uh, you know, he's, he's missing high release point, maybe bring that, hold on to it, hold on to it a second uh, longer, if you will, or maybe a millisecond longer. Those are easy, common mistakes for young quarterbacks. So he's missed some, but he's also impressed, and he's made some nice throws. Uh, I referenced one in the practice report last week where he threw one to McCallum Castles on an out to the sideline. Beautifully thrown ball. Really, really good thrown ball. And so uh, he's obviously Joe Milton's at the top, then there's Nico, and then there's a huge drop-off in where Tennessee has quarterbacks. And 
Um, you know, typically that's that's kind of where it is, you know, for most programs. But uh, Nico is coming along. A couple other uh, defensive linemen, or a couple other defenders from young guys. David Hobbs, a spectator in in spring practice, um, wasn't able to do a, a whole lot because of a wrist injury, and he's come along now. And uh, he's getting his first taste of what it means to go through individual and lineup and all that type of stuff. He's put on some weight, which is good. He slimmed down for basketball season uh, last winter, you know, before he got here to Tennessee. So he's put on some good weight, and he's got the he's got the right attitude. Loves being coached and challenged by Rodney Garner, and because you play so many players, and because he's got some versatility on the defensive line, and because there's very few defensive tackle bodies. If he has a good fall camp, maybe he can crack that rotation. So look out for him. Jordan Matthews had an interception. Freshman cornerback had an interception on Wednesday uh, in, in one of the uh, seven-on-seven periods. So I, I want to throw him in there. That that was a good start. And then I love the story of Danny Okoye. Uh, not Danny, excuse me. Danny Okoye is a prospect Tennessee's chasing in the class of 2024. Emmanuel Okoye. Uh, remember, we talked about him on last week's show. Played some video clips of uh, guys talking about him, Alec Abel, and of course him himself coming from Nigeria, going to the NFL Academy in London, and now here to Tennessee. Just love that story, and, and love his passion and his, his work ethic, and his hunger to uh, be a part of a team and to be a better football player. It was what it was fun watching him out there running around. It was more fun listening to his story, and so I wrote him out. I wrote him down as a guy that's kind of stood out a little bit in week one those are some of the players that have stood out in week one to me i'll do this again at the end of week two week two winners but those are your week one winners so far according to eric kane joe milton aaron beasley keenan peely romel keaton dante thornton and then for the young guys we got arian carter jeremiah t lander nico iamaliava david hobbs jordan matthews and emmanuel okoye hey coming up in segment two what did i see at saturday's tennessee fall football practice it was the fourth practice and um we got to see a little one-on-one i'll tell you all about that excited uh, to, to tell you about that because it was fun to watch in practice that is coming up next right here on locked on vols i want to tell you about our friends linkedin jobs do a fine job for us and these Days, every single new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to trust LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find people, the right people, for your team faster and for free. We've all put our online resume. We've all put our resumes online out there before, hoping to get a better job, a stepping stone job, taking another step to reaching your career goals and aspirations. Maybe you've reached that now. Maybe you have a small business, but you need some help. And not only do you just need a body, you need someone smart, capable, and trusting with your project, with your business. LinkedIn Jobs puts uh, simple tools out there like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus its leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That is linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. 
From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for starting your day with us here on Locked On Vols. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday's edition of Locked On Vols, you get to take over the show. Your questions, your comments, concerns from week one of Tennessee football fall camp. Whatever you want to know, send them in at underscore Kane or at Locked On Vols. Fill out the comment section on this YouTube page as well. Uh, let me know your questions, and I'll do my best to answer them on tomorrow's show. Uh, while we're at it, go ahead and subscribe to Locked On Vols on the YouTube channel if you haven't already. 8K by opening day, that's the goal. Still a couple hundred away, so let's move that needle in the right direction. And, of course, listening to us, um, subscribe or follow whichever platform, you know, Spotify, if it's Apple Podcasts, all that. And, and set it up to where whenever you open that app, it automatically downloads for you, and you can take it with you to the track to work. Uh, in the car, wherever you may be, and uh, we really do thank you for supporting the show, a top 100 football podcast in America that is Locked On Vault. All right, so Saturday's practice uh, was really cool because I got to see a one-on-one period, and typically we don't get to see one-on-ones an awful lot. Uh, if you're a member of VaultQuest.com, I wrote about this, uh, but since you listen to Locked On Vols, you get a little behind the curtains as well. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that one-on-one drill from Saturday morning. It was not your receivers versus your DBs. It was not your tight ends versus your linebackers and going and catching passes. No, it was pass pro one-on-ones, meaning for the defense, you had linebackers blitzing off the edge, and they would make a move and try to get past either a tight end or a running back and try to get back to the to the quarterback, which was a dummy set up back there. Um, you're working on your moves. You're, you're trying to work on your pass rushing moves and blitzing from the second level if you're a linebacker, and you're working on your pass pro if you're a running back or you are a tight end, picking up those blitzers and trying to keep your quarterback clean. Um, Keenan Peely had a really, really, really good session during this. Again, 25 years old. He's played college football forever. Um, you could just see he was refined. He was in control. He was not all over the place. He would he would make a move, setting up another move, like planting his inside foot and then spinning around to the outside and going to get the quarterback, or you know stepping you know one one foot outside, then dipping up underneath on the inside and keeping it tight to come back around that edge and, and get to the quarterback. He also did a couple swim moves as well. Keenan Peely was going about his business and and looked really really good. I think he only lost maybe two reps in in the times that I saw him. He won nearly every rep. Uh, he bested Jabari Small, and I'll get to Small in a moment because he had a really good day in this drill. Um, he bested uh, every single rep and, and bested Jabari Small on a couple of different occasions. Aaron Beasley also looked good in this rep. Again, he's been doing this. They practice this all the time, and now he's a you know fifth year in the system. He's fourth year linebacker. Uh, he looks refined. He made a he, he made one um, he he made one blocker look really ridiculous. Just used a lot utilizing his speed. That that's Aaron Beasley's best traits. I believe a linebacker. He's athletic and he has really, really good speed just to get around the blocker off the edge. And he did that with a couple of tight ends in this drill. Uh, he won two or three reps that he took. And, uh, you know, but Dylan Sampson did stuff him one time. So I thought that was pretty noteworthy. Let's go back to Jabari Small in terms of the blocking. Jabari Small, a couple years ago, and I wrote about this and I didn't mean to misinform anybody if you didn't really understand what I was writing. I wrote, this is what I said, quote, back to Small, it's wild how far he's come in pass pro since his freshman season. He still has a ways to go, but you can tell that he and others have put an emphasis on improving that aspect of the game. Uh, what I mean by he still has a ways to go, he's not perfect. 
I don't think he would ever tell you that he's perfect. In fact, uh, at points in times last year, he said, hey, I know pass pro is something I've got to improve on. I've got to improve on. I've been working on this. I've been working on this. And he's gotten better. He got a lot better with it last season as well. But he, he's not where he wants to be. I don't think he's where the staff wants him to be in that regard. And that's the same for any of these running backs. But he's come such a long way. And Saturday morning, I was reminded of that. He he looked really, really good. Um, he was probably the most impressive guy in that drill, offense or defense. He lost twice to Keenan Peely, but he won every other rep that he took. Um, he won a matchup over Peely and Beasley um, you know, in back-to-back -back reps. Uh, small, showcased a low center of gravity, good feet, keeping them choppy. Um, recoiling after you know initiating first contact on a on a blitzing linebacker and then staying with it. So I was really impressed with what Jabari Small did in that draw. I thought that was pretty noteworthy. Uh, a couple other ones. Jacob Warren held up against Caleb Perry in in a really nice rep. Jalen Wright absolutely stuffed Aaron Carter. Yeah, I I could hear it. Um, you know I was I was a while away. I was watching this drill from across the field, and you know Aaron Carter again. I we talked about him in segment number one. Impressive looking guy, heavy guy, athletic. True freshman. Jalen Rott's also put on some pounds as well, but he stuffed him, and you could hear it. It was a pop, and uh, Jalen Wright did a really, really good job against Aaron Carter on one of his attempts. Um, let's see here. Elijah Herring won a matchup over McCallum Castles off the edge at one point, but he was also taking some criticism from Brian Jean-Marie, out of control, arms flailing, uh, not being you know in tune with, uh, with the rhythm of his pass rush, so he was taking some one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, from Ryan Jean-Marie as well. But that was the one-on-one -on -one pass pro drill from Saturday morning, and I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I hope that we get to see more of that while we're out there. Typically, we don't get to see anything cool like that, but Saturday morning we got to see uh, that for sure. Some other highlights from Saturday morning and really from the first couple of practices. Um, offensive line, it appears still that Gerald Mincy is running with the twos at left tackle. Um, I thought he and Jeremiah Crawford would be battling it out for the starting right tackle job, but right now... It's Jeremiah Crawford, J.J. Crawford over there with the ones at right tackle. Dane Davis is behind him. John Campbell, the transfer from Miami, is repping with the ones at left tackle with Gerald Mincy as his backup. So very interesting. Um, could he not adapt to the right side? Was he not completely bought in? Does he feel like he's just a left tackle? I don't know. You know, We'll find out. And maybe they're cross-training while we're not there, but every time we've been there, including uh, Wednesday when we were there for 45 minutes, he was only with the left side, so I, I found that interesting. Big week coming up for the offensive linemen. The last two practices were bigger in that regard because they actually had shoulder pads on. You can't really do much in the trenches when you're not in full pads. So huge week coming up for the offensive and defensive lines. We're really getting after it. Hopefully we can see some movement. Of course, we'll see some movements likely on Thursday following scrimmage number one. Addison Nichols, again, um, unless we're missing some things, maybe he's running with the threes, um, you know, the third offense with guard later in practice while we're not there. But every time we're there, Addison Nichols is still repping with the centers and not the guards. So I found that interesting because I thought he would play a big-time role in who's going to be the starting left guard. But, again, things can change as camp rolls on. Uh, defensively from Saturday, I continue to be impressed with Wesley Walker. I think he's having a really nice camp, start to camp. It looks like he's trimmed up, slimmed up a little bit as well. Uh, in the offseason, so I think that strength and conditioning program's done done some some wonders for him, and a lot of drilling for the for the defense. Starting every single practice with tackling and turnover circuits, focusing on the little things, and they do that throughout the entire season. But you're you're seeing freshmen and newcomers kind of learn these drills 
and they'll become second nature to them as as the days go on. So uh, those were some of the things I saw from Saturday's practice, and I'll continue to give some practice observations right here on Locked On Balls as camp rolls on. Appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in here to Locked On Balls. When we come back, we're going to shift gears here. Conference realignment. It was a massive week last week, really the tail end of last week. A lot of movements for the 2024 season. College football just continues to be unrecognizable. That and more coming up next. Locked on Vaults. All right, guys. A couple minutes left here on a Monday edition of Locked on Vaults. Appreciate you guys for being here. Uh, conference realignment. Sure, the SEC threw the first punch. You know, a couple years ago when it was reported at SEC Media Days in 2021, I believe, down in Hoover, Alabama, that Texas and Oklahoma were coming to the Southeastern Conference. Since then, the SEC has been kind of quiet, right? I mean, it's going to be at 16 teams in 2024. Greg Sankey was asked about that at SEC Media Days a couple of weeks ago, and he said, hey, we're focused on 16. We're focused on 16. But look what the Big Ten's done since, you know, going out and getting UCLA and USC to play in the Big Ten. Okay, that makes sense, right? Could the Big 12 survive? Could it, you know, what was the Big 12 going to do? It pivoted. It, it went and took four teams or a couple teams from the AAC, from some mid-majors. And then last week, right, Colorado shifted everything again. Maybe it was maybe it was Thursday or Friday of the previous week. Anyway, Colorado started this domino chain again. Colorado leaving the Pac-12. Pretty much it called the bluff saying, hey, we want to leave, we want to leave, we want to leave. Let us know, let us know. The Big 12 was like, hey, we need to know by this date. Colorado says, all right, we're going to the Big 12. Colorado joins the Big 12 and then... The Pac-12 just unravels. Since the Colorado move to the Big 12 in recent days, the Pac-12 has unraveled. Oregon and Washington have jumped ship to to the Big 10. Okay, so you can be playing a game in Washington one day and then and then you know supposed to fly all the way back to Maryland for a class the next morning. We'll more more on that in a moment, but yeah, that that that's fair, right? Oregon and Washington will join USC and UCLA in the Big 10. Arizona Arizona State, Utah, and of course, as I mentioned, Colorado are joining the Big 12. The Pac-12 is left with just four teams at current standing, a proud conference of over 100 years. Just four teams for 2024 right now in Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. What will the Pac-12 do? We won't know until you know some things happen in the coming days and weeks and everything, but right now the Pac-12 is is just unraveling in a hurry. But what about those teams? What about Washington that's now playing in the Big Ten? What about Oregon? And remember, USC and UCLA, who already jumped to the Big Ten, we're not thinking about total cost in this and not financial costs. A guy that I don't like very much, and I make fun of him from time to time here on Lockdown Balls, Eli Drinkwitz, head coach of Missouri. But he spoke some truth the other day. I had a buddy that texted me Sunday morning, and was like, look at this, Eli's right, Eli greater than Shane Beamer. I said, I don't like either one of them, but Eli is spot on with this right now. I think Eli Drinkwitz is the class clown that does anything to stay relevant in the Southeastern Conference because his football program is not very good. However, I do recognize he's a good offensive mind, and he's a smart guy. And what he says right here, I couldn't agree with more the ramifications of realignment in college football. I mean, what are we really doing to ourselves here? Listen to this from Eli Drinkwitz, very methodical and slow at the beginning, and then he gets into it. Hmm. I was really hoping nobody would ask me that question. <laughs> Sorry. 
All right, I'm going to say it. I thought the transfer window, I thought the portal was closed. Uh, oh, that's just for the student athletes. The adults in the room get to do whatever they want, apparently. And it's, um, you know, it's just sad that there's, um, look, I, my question is, did we count the cost? I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about, did we count the cost for the student-athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student-athletes? We're talking about a football decision. They based off football. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross-country? Do we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator of, uh, of symptom of, or cause of mental health is? It's lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, you know, those, those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? Are we going to look back? I, I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. We'll all figure it out. But did we consider the people that we are entrusted to? Did we consider the student athlete? Because then we're asking them to go out on their own to get NIL. We didn't say we're going to revenue share. We're not saying they're getting a piece of it. So that, that's the thing that's bothering me right now in this whole situation is we keep trying to limit what the student athlete can do, but then we act on our own. And uh, everybody's got their own reasons. Um, uh, and, and I'm not questioning any of those. I'm saying as a collective group, have we asked ourselves, what's it going to cost the student athletes? I saw um, on Twitter several student athletes talking about one of the reasons they chose their school was so that their parents didn't have to travel. They chose a local school so that they could be regionally associated so their parents could watch them play and not have to travel. Did we ask them if they wanted to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast? Man, you know, I love the game. But every game that I coach, I look up in the stands and find my family. I make sure they can play. I make sure they can be there because that's what I'm doing this for. And, and you're talking about volleyball, baseball, softball, track. I mean, all, all those other sports, man, they don't get – they're not fortunate in – to travel like the way we do, football be fine. Football be fine. Still, we count the cost of the collateral damage of everybody else. I don't know. I, only time will tell, but that is my biggest, like looking at it going 24 hours after, say, did we really think about that? I don't think we did. Um, I don't think we did. Collateral damage, something he said there at the very end. Have we considered the collateral damage? Again, I'm not the biggest Eli Jerkowitz fan, but everything he said, preach, yes, amen, you know, back of the church, hands up in the air, Southern Baptist. I mean, he's exactly right. I mean, football is going to be fine. Football flights charter. Football is is good. The game's not going to the game's going to get better. Football is going to be just fine. But what about volleyball that plays on weeknights? Okay. What about those midweek baseball games? I understand midweek baseball. You don't typically play conference games then, but you know, are you going to go out to the West Coast if you're, you know, Maryland or, or Rutgers or whoever? Go out to the West Coast and, and play, you know, a, a weekend. Might as well schedule, uh, uh, you know, another series out there the following weekend and stay out there and miss a whole week of class. I mean, what about that? Um, basketball as well. You know, basketball, of course, you know, you're taken care of for the most part and everything. And but you play those Tuesday, Wednesday night games. Uh, flying from East Coast to West Coast and then, and then back and, and expected to be at class the next morning. 
football is going to be okay and you can afford all this and everything. But, you know, he started that out by saying, I thought the transfer portal was closed, but oh, the, the grownups in the room can just go ahead and do whatever they want. This stuff right here is why so many different people are so for na uh, name, image, and likeness, are so for the transfer portal, allowing athletes to go out there and profit off their name, image, and likeness because of what's happening right now, or allowing athletes to go out there and change schools because they're not getting enough playing time or they don't like their, their situation or whatever because coaches do it all the time or because presidents and ADs and chancellors are so, you know, I gotta, gotta get my, my words right there about how to slip up. They're so money hungry. Okay. Um, this is why you're for, this is why the player empowerment has never been bigger than it is now because of stuff like this. I, I know we got, we got to wrap the, the, some things up here, but when, oh, when will football be its own entity? When, oh, when w will it be, you know, football is going to break off and you're going to have a power three or a power two, maybe play your regular season, play your regular season, like the NF, the, like the NFL and the AFL back in the day. And then boom, you meet for a champion in the middle and then allow all the other sports, basketball, softball, baseball, volleyball, the non-revenue stuff to stay the same and st to stay regionally placed around, around the country. I mean, it's not going to be anytime soon, right? Because you're seeing all this stuff set to go, set to happen in 2024, but it's going to happen one day. It's got to happen one day. Um, I feel for the student athletes. I do. Um, I, I truly, truly do. Especially again, those that play in non-revenue sports, those I got news for you guys. The majority of people on Tennessee's baseball team aren't on scholarship. That's the same for around the country. Okay, I would imagine it's the same for swimming and a lot for golf and and for volleyball and all these other sports. You know, they just go and they play so their parents can come watch them play or whatever. It's tough. I hate it. It makes no sense to me. Uh, college athletics right now is unrecognizable to where it was five years ago even. It's crazy. Football is going to be okay. I make my money on football. Football is my passion. I love football. I'm going to be okay. But it, it does suck, and I think a lot of what Eli Drinkwood said right there Spot on. He hit it on the money. Uh, let me know what you think. Twitter Tuesday is tomorrow, the mailbag edition of the show. Get in those questions, those comments, whatever you guys have, at underscore Kaner, at Locked on Vols. Fill up the comment section on this YouTube video right now. As always, can't do this. I was going to say can't, and then I switched to couldn't, so it was like, can Couldn't do this show without you guys. Really can't. Shout out every day. There's a lot of you guys always say every single day with Eric Kane. Man, I love that. Pumps me the hell up when I see that. Appreciate you guys. As always, let's do it again tomorrow. Let's have a hell of a week, guys. This is Locked on Balls. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.